We'll start with the uh, set-aside prayer. God, please set aside everything I think I know about you, God, the steps, recovery, the big book, what's best for me, what's best for others. Especially help me let go of all my old ideas so I can live on your truth. Heavenly Father, help us to carry your message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, we're finishing up the chapter to we agnostics, which um, uh, has so much... uh, powerful spiritual information. It's really about the second step and then uh, that question is on page 47 where we ask ourselves, do we believe or are we willing to believe that there's a power greater than me? Sounds like a simple question, isn't it? That's the second step. And then do you believe that that power can solve your problem? And then uh, the rest of the chapter is really about our relationship with God and how that is something that will change us and is what we're seeking in uh, recovery. We're trying to go, as uh, it talks about in the book of Romans, from living in the world of the flesh to the world of the spirit. The problem is, it's, as it's described in Romans, even though we have the spirit, we still live in an unredeemed body. And so we still sin. And the steps were designed uh, originally by a uh, group of uh, Christians called the Oxford Group on how they could grow in sanctification, how they could grow in, in, through the power of the Spirit to the image and likeness of, of their Creator. And uh, so they had six steps and then eventually uh, Uh, AA broke away from that group but had 12 steps and changed some of the terminology and we don't mention Christ or Christianity in the big book and that's fine with me Uh, but that's how it started and so when you study scripture as I've been doing the last years uh, I realize these steps are designed for how I can grow and serve God and do his will and not mine. And how I can grow closer to him and be more at peace with myself and more service to God and others. Actually, I'm gonna go back a little further because uh, don't tell uh, Jimmy. Uh, I'm gonna go back to page 53 because I thought of something that was mentioned after the the in the discussion last uh, Wednesday and I want to wish everybody listening a happy new year and uh, uh, it says when I became an alcoholic on page 53 I was crushed by a self-imposed crisis I could not postpone or evade so they're defining that moment of complete defeat when I'm crushed by a self-imposed crisis I could not postpone or evade Now, I'd been an alcoholic before I was crushed. Anybody believe that? But when I was crushed, I couldn't deny my crushing. I think that's the best way to describe hitting bottom. You can't deny that you're crushed. And I think we have to start from being crushed to be willing to go to any length, to be willing to do whatever it takes so that we don't live in that world anymore 
And it says, I had, when I was crushed, I had to fearlessly, so when I became an alcoholic, I had to fearlessly face this question that either God is everything or else he is nothing. And this is really the essence of what it means, uh, what the steps are all about. Now, if God's nothing, then I'm everything. Now, that didn't work for me. Now, the book is written so that you don't realize how that didn't work for you till you get to page 60. And 60 to 63 describes the life run on self-will and why it didn't work. And at the bottom of page 62, it says, in the step three decision, the how and why of it is that I have to stop playing God. Why? It didn't work. And if I choose God is nothing, then I'm playing God, and it's never going to work. And so I was crushed by a self-imposed crisis because I was playing God. I didn't have to play God, but I chose that. Now, I don't know about you, but I didn't realize that. Now, today, being in recovery a while and being married, I realize when I'm playing God more and more because I'm told, and, and, and I don't, People don't need my guidance. Isn't that something? And they don't need my suggestions. It's, it's a process. And, but I'm laughing at myself. But we don't want to play God anymore. It doesn't work. It, that's what made my life unmanageable. Now, what's the relationship between an unmanageable life and alcohol? When my life is unmanageable, my emotions build up, and I don't like the way I feel. And I learned that I could drink, and that would relieve that. And that's powerful. So when you're living sober without God, managing the world, your emotions build up and you drink. And that's why people drink. They don't drink because they're bad people. They drink because they're alcoholics. And alcoholics have no defense against the first drink in their mind. And they, they need, in their mind, relief from living sober because they're managing the world. So what we need to learn is how I can live sober and I don't have to go to alcohol, I can go to God. So I have to look at this question, is God everything or nothing all the time? And it says, what is our choice to be? And that's a choice you have to make all day long. Now, how do you know when you're choosing yourself? You have fear. If you have fear or anxiety about anything, you're living you're writing the show. Because remember, God has fear and anxiety because that's the deal when we sign the contract on page 63. So I don't have to have anxiety or fear, do I? No. And, and what's my choice going to be? So the <coughs> steps 10 and 11 are designed to help you, when you're choosing yourself, stop and choose God. And then we have these promises on page 83 and 84 that are promises in the world of the spirit when I'm choosing to live with God. Now, what we want to try to do is get into this world where God is the center and playing and he's in charge and stay close enough in that world that we never get too far away. Because if we get too far away from that world, we have no power not to drink. You see how it all works? Now here, they're just on page 53, but what is my choice to be? And so they say, arrived at this point, we're squarely confronted with the question of faith. 
and we can't duck the issue because you're, 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 you're dying. You're, you're, you're in a self-imposed crisis. Anybody remember how bad it was when you came in? Well, you don't want to forget that. So you have to come to this idea of faith, or you can have a faith in something besides yourself. And it says a lot of us walk from the bridge of reason. Have you met anybody in alcoholics who was a, a reasoning person? We all were. Bridge of reason. We, we have to walk to the desired shore of faith, so we have to give up on ourselves. You see what they're talking about? The outlines and the promise of the new land had brought luster to tire eyes and fresh courage to flagging spirits. Friendly hands had stretched out a welcome. Now you see people who are new. They are mass. And they, uh, we, we hold our hands out to them. We offer them something. Um, and it says, we were grateful that reason had brought us so far, but somehow we couldn't quite step ashore. And that's what happens. People come here and they, they know things are bad and they have a self-imposed crisis. And they face this question, but they can't quite step ashore. They don't see the need for doing the fourth step. They don't see the need for calling you every day. They don't see the need for studying the book. You see how it works? Their reasoning, their thinker is telling them things and remember, our thinker tells us things that are killing us. And, and so we were leaning too heavily on reason. And we don't want to do that anymore. And to be able to not live on reason, you have to completely give up on yourself. And so how much powerlessness do you need to recover? 100%. And so if you're 90% powerless and hold on to 10%, the 10% will kill you. Now the process of letting go, of holding on to all this is steps four through nine. You make a decision in step three that you don't want to play God anymore, but that doesn't mean you stop doing it. You stop doing it by, by allowing God to work in your life, by seeing the manifestations of you running the show and recognizing them and learning to say prayers when you're back in self so that you get back to God. So it says, uh, we were worshipers, because we're only going to cover a couple of pages, don't worry. I won't go for two hours. Uh, we, were, we were worshipers, all of us, when we came in here. And what do I worship? Myself, people, things, sentiment, money. And so those are the things that were my higher power. Now, how'd that work for me? Now, why did I worship those things? Not because I was a bad person, but I thought if I got those things, I'd feel okay. But it's never enough. Mark and I were talking about, there's a famous football player. He won't retire. He keeps wanting to play. And he, his family didn't want him to play anymore. And I don't know all the details, so I may be talking about, but in general, you just look at it, okay, how many, how many, how long are you going to play? How many Super Bowls do you have to win? What's enough? And so he chose football over other options. And didn't, don't we do that as alcoholics? It's never enough. And so if I'm seeking approval from the outside world, I'm always going to be uneasy because I've made the world my higher power. Anybody done that in here? Hey, we'll do it today. Somebody's going to do it today. 
We may all do it today. We do it without even thinking about it, but we recognize if you've worked the steps when you're doing that. And then it says um, on page 55, uh, we see people who've, who've rose above their problems in the first paragraph. And they say, God made these things possible. We only smiled. You see, now at meetings, we're supposed to be uh, telling each other how God has done for me what I could not do for myself. And that's what this book is doing, showing you how you can have God do for you what you could not do for yourself, how you can keep from drinking, how you can keep from making decisions based on self that harmed you, how you can uh, be free of shame and guilt, how you can stop being angry and resentful and fearful all the time. And so we saw spiritual release, but it says we like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. So there are people who come here that don't make it. They're not bad people. They won't give up on themselves, and they, they won't step ashore. And they see spiritual release, but they still think that they can solve their problem. Self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency killed me. The only thing that works for me is God's sufficiency. And when I'm being God's sufficient, I feel better. When I was self-sufficient, I'd have some good days. You know, we all do. But it's not, it, it doesn't work all the time. It, would, it wouldn't give me peace and serenity. So it says, we, so they, sell, they saw a spiritual release, but tell, tell themselves it wasn't true. So hear what they said, that they were fooling themselves. Did I fool myself? For deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. I think this is absolutely true. Scripture talks about it. In the chapters uh, 1 to 3, Paul describes how the creation shows the creator. You don't have to have the Bible. You don't have to have uh, any theology. You can see it in nature. You can see it in the creation. You can see the creator. And we all have a moral conscience. C.S. Lewis talks about that, the famous writer in Mere Christianity, that all civilizations and all societies have always had some code of behavior that was acceptable and a code that wasn't. There's some moral conscience in all human beings. Because we know when we're doing wrong. Did you ever do something and justify it, but you vaguely sense like uh, Jim vaguely sensed that uneasy when he mixed milk with whiskey. And it says, so the fundamental idea of God, but here's what I did. I obscured it by calamity, by pomp, which is ostentatious display or pride, by worship of other things. See, I obscured the presence of God. Now on page 64, it says that we've made this decision to make the third step, and it's a good decision, but it won't have any permanent effect unless we face at once the things in ourselves that blocked us from God. You get it? And so I obscured God, but he was there. And it says, for faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstration of the power in human lives are fact as old as man himself. And this book is a demonstration of that. Anybody believe that? It is. It's a testimony. This is a testimony. And the New Testament is a testimony. 
to what happened when people believed. And the Old Testament is a testimony to what happened when God revealed himself to part of his creation. And we're supposed to do that at meetings. We're supposed to be a miraculous demonstration of this power in our lives. Just the fact that we're all sober, and we may still all be sober tomorrow after New Year's Eve, is a miraculous uh, demonstration of that power in our lives. We should never be too grateful for the grace that God's given us, that we're alive today and we're sober. So here's the big, the key paragraph. They finally saw, this is what they finally saw, that faith in some kind of God was part of our makeup. They finally saw this after they worked the steps, just as much as the feeling we have for a friend. So uh, in the scripture talks about uh, at a certain point, you, you can call God Abba Father. And that's in Romans uh, 8. You can call God Abba Father. And you can do that when you have a certain relationship with his son. And here they're saying that you can call God your friend when you have a certain relationship. I'm not saying you have to be a Christian to have that, but it talks about that in Scripture. That's why the prayer we say at the end of the meeting is our Father. And that prayer was given on the, in uh, Matthew to the disciples. And so we're all brothers, and we all are brothers, and we have one Father. And they talk about that in page 62, that we see Father, we can describe God as our Father. And Dad will take care of us. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly. What step is that? Four. We search fearlessly, and he was there. We see it. He's there. And I could see that he's there because I could see how I had obscured him through resentment, fear, harmful actions that we inventory in step four. And I could see that I blocked him out. And then I could see the prayers and say the prayers, and it would change, and I'd be free of anger and free of fear. Isn't that great? It's right there. Simple prayers. You see it. You could do it all day. You have to do it the rest of your life. He's as much a fact as I am. Does anybody believe that they're here right now? That's a fact, right? So he is God is the same as you being here. It's a fact. And it says, we found the great reality, capital G, capital R, this fundamental idea of God. It, 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 we became part of my makeup. I could see it as the feeling I have for friend. I searched fearlessly and he was there. He's a fact. And we found the great reality deep down within us. And this is a great line. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It's not going to be in things. It's not going to be in achievements. It's not going to be in approval from others. It's deep down inside of us. It was so with us. And we can see that when we, when we, there's no barrier to the relationship except me and my thinking. I'm the only thing that can obscure it, and I'm the only thing that can keep me from finding the great reality. And then the steps, 10, 11, is how we find the great reality all the time. We never get too far away from it. It says we can only clear the ground a bit. If our testimony, and here's three things that they want you to do. 
One, sweep away your prejudice, any judgment you have about anything, all your old ideas. Drop the rock. Enables you to think honestly. We want to be honest and encourages you to search diligently within yourself. This isn't, uh, you're not going to search diligently in them. You're going to search diligently within yourself. Then, if you wish, you can join us on the broad highway. So the only thing that will block you from being on the same highway on the path of spiritual progress to a relationship with God is if you're prejudiced. What's prejudice? I don't need to do this. I don't need to follow these instructions. I don't need to make this choice. I don't need to work the steps. I don't need to do this. You tell yourself things. They're prejudgments. I decided today that I'm going to change my mind about this show I refuse to watch because I, I don't think I'm going to like it. And I decided today that I'm going to give it a shot. For me, that's a big deal. I mean, I'm an alcoholic. But you see how we do it. It could be a simple thing like that. We don't like the picture on Netflix. It looks stupid. And then we watch it. It's great. It could be a book. I had books on the shelves I wouldn't read for years. I don't even know why I bought them. Then I read it. I said, this is great. Why didn't I read this before? My wife and I, we have things that we look at that we should take care of. And we just watch it, walk around it. Anybody else do that? Enables me and encourages me Then, if I wish, I can join you on the broad highway. And it says, with this attitude, you cannot fail. You cannot fail if you're going to be willing to go to any length, let go of all your old ideas, think honestly, and, and search diligently within yourself all the time. Step 10 is where you search diligently within yourself whenever you have resentment for yourself is just a dishonesty. And you ask God at once to remove them. The consciousness of your belief is sure to come to you. That's what faith, I believe, is in AA. It's consciousness of belief. It starts with belief, but the consciousness of the belief, the awareness of the belief, the knowledge that God can do for me what I cannot do for myself is so strong. Now, even knowing that, why do I still play God sometimes? And for a while, because that's the way we are. But God disciplines us. It says on page 88, this is how God disciplines us. We don't feel good when we're not allowing him to play, to, to run our lives. In this book, you'll read the experience of a man who thought he was an atheist. The story is so interesting <coughs> that some of it should be told now. His change of heart was dramatic, convincing, and moving. Our friend was a minister's son. He attended church school, where he became rebellious at what he thought an overdose of religious education. Who told him that? See, he did. And he was rebellious. He didn't want anybody to tell him what to do. Sounds like me. For years thereafter, he was dogged by trouble and frustration. Why? Because he had a spiritual malady. That's the unmanageable life. Business failure, insanity, fatal illness, suicide, these calamities in his immediate family embittered and depressed him. Post-war disillusionment, ever more serious alcoholism, impending mental and physical lapse brought him to the point of self-destruction. A self-imposed crisis he could not postpone or evade. So one night, 
When confined in a hospital, he was perched by an alcoholic who had known a spiritual experience. Our friend's gorge, that means your throat rises in, in uh, revulsion of something, rose as he bitterly cried out, if there's a God, he certainly hasn't done anything for me. Now, I, I believe that's a, a great uh, description of us. We want God to be here, but he, has, he hasn't done anything for me, but I, did I let him? Did I let God do anything for me? And that's why we were agnostics. We, 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 we had no knowledge of God because we hadn't let him do anything for us. We had to run the show, or we asked him to be our co-pilot. <coughs> this is not a book, God is my co-pilot. This is, this is God's driving the plane. I get in the, in the passenger seats. And, it's, and he says, who am I to say there's no God? In other words, I could be wrong. Maybe I had a prejudice. Maybe I wasn't thinking my, uh, maybe I wasn't open-minded. Who are you to say there's no good? And you know that God, and that's so true when you're talking to people and they, they tell you these things and you, you just want to shake them because with their reasoning mind, they're killing themselves. So we should say to them, well, who told you there's no God? This man recounts that he tumbled out of bed to his knees. In a few seconds, he was overwhelmed by a conviction of the presence of God. So he had this sudden spiritual experience. He had a firmly held belief, which was a conviction. It poured over and through him with the certainty and majesty of a great tide of flood. The barriers he had built, notice the term, he had built the barriers through the years were swept away. He stood in the presence of infinite power and love. He had stepped from bridge to shore. For the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. And this is a beautiful paragraph, because this is what should happen to us at some point. I have a conviction of the present God. And I didn't have the sudden like this, but the, the barriers I had built when you worked the steps. Remember, Bill said this program is simple but not easy. What does it require? the destruction of self-centeredness. And once we destroy our self-centeredness, the barriers I built were swept away, and I stood in the presence, capital P, infinite power and love. And now they're talking about you step from the bridge to the shore, to the shore of faith, to the shore of uh, living in the world of the spirit. And for the first time, he lived in conscious companionship with his creator. I lived my whole life in conscious separation. Chuck Chamberlain, in his famous uh, series of talks in the New Paraglass, he says, we only have one problem, all of us, conscious separation from God. Where? In our minds. We play God. We create this world. And we have one solution, conscious contact. And here it is, right here in the book. Thus was our friend's cornerstone fixed in place. Remember, the cornerstone is the belief in uh, this power and the cornerstone of the spiritual structure that we're building to freedom. No later vicis, whatever it is, vicissitude has shaken it, which means change in circumstances. So no matter what my circumstances, I still know that God's there, he's in me, I can, he can work in my life. And isn't that the serenity prayer? That no matter what the circumstances, you can have peace. And some things you just have to accept and some things you have to change. His alcoholic problem was taken away that very night years ago. It disappeared, save for a brief, few brief moments of temptation. The thought of drink has never returned. 
and at such times a great revulsion has risen up in him. Who gave him that revulsion? God. Seemingly he could not drink even if, even if he would. God had restored his sanity. Remember, we came to believe that there's a power greater than ourselves can restore his sanity. He could see the truth about alcohol, so when he thought about it, he had revulsion. Uh, anybody have a stove at home? We don't keep putting our f finger on the hot stove, do we? No, but alcoholics do. And at some point they realize this is a stove, it's gonna burn me. What is this but a simple miracle of healing? Isn't that what we are? And the elements of this healing are simple. Circumstances made him willing to believe. The crushed by the self-imposed crisis, he was willing to believe. And then he humbly with humility being broken from a, period, uh, from a point of complete powerlessness, he offered himself to his maker. And then he knew knowledge of God, no longer an agnostic. Even so, God has restored us all to our right minds. To this man, the revelation was sudden. Some of us grow into it more slowly, so your, your spiritual experience can be slow or sudden. But whenever it happens, it happens. And you realize God is doing for you what you could not do for yourself. And you realize that there's a power in your life that can tell you you don't need to drink today. There's a power in your life that can say, Michael, your fears are all nonsense. Come back to me. You don't need to worry about that anymore. Michael, you've got to stop judging. Get over it. They are who they are. Who tells you that? It's God. I didn't know that before I came in. <coughs> but he has come to all who have honestly sought him. God can and will if he sought. If you honestly seek him and you go to any length and you give it everything you can, you, you'll never drink again and your life will be manageable. Why? If you do everything in this and how it works and into action and you keep doing those steps three through 11 all the time, you'll, your life will change. You'll be living in a different world. You won't, you won't recognize it till you're in it. And you can't, I can't tell you about it till you do it, right? Chris is shaking his head, that's the problem. I can't tell you what it's gonna be like till you do it. And this book is, they're telling you what it was like for them and then we're supposed to tell you what it's like for us today. When we drew near to him, he disclosed himself to us. So I don't have to worry about who God is and this and that. When I draw near to him, he will disclose himself to me. Powerful stuff, isn't it? So how do you honestly seek him? You give it everything you can. You're willing to let go of all your old ideas, your prejudice. You're honestly, you go to any length. So we'll stop with, uh, with that, and we've got time, open it up. But